0: Welcome to A Flash of Beauty, the podcast, an audio experience dedicated to the further exploration of Bigfoot and the people Bigfoot has revealed itself to. What started as a documentary of personal narrative encounter stories and expert testimony has now shifted into a deeper inquiry into the forever changed lives of those that have witnessed firsthand this hidden truth. My name is Tobe Johnson co-producer of Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Revealed. Join me along with the crew and creators of this doc, director Brett Eichenberger, producer Jill Rimmen-Snyder, and cinematographer Michael Ferry, as we go back into the trees to sit down once again with each guest in search of the truth, no matter how strange. Here we go again, Flash of Beauty back atcha, Mike (laughs) in the right-hand corner, Jill in the upper left-hand corner here, and Brett in the lower left-hand corner, also known as Big Ike. People should know that when we do this podcast, we can see each other in Brady Bunch mode on Zoom, so it's a little hard not to make fun. And Brett goes by Ike, which for me is so weird because his father is named Ike, and the first replica Sasquatch I made was for a pizza parlor. It, it's where I started this little thing called Bigfoot and beer. And at Ike's pizza, you could go once a month and hang out in front of big Ike and tell Bigfoot stories. I don't know. There's no coincidences. Is there Brett? There's no coincidences. Zero, zero. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's crazy. I know when I
1: first, when I first learned that I literally, I got the chills. And here's something else, too, that you probably don't know is that I don't know if I've ever told you this. My, my dad went as his nickname was Big Ike. My last name's Eichenberger. My grandfather went by Ike as well. My dad had a cameo in a like C movie starring Tanya Harding. My dad was <laughs> he was cameoed as um, a gangster that that gets shot. And his uh, his name was Big Ike in the credits. So, oh, there's that. Yeah, you know. wow. It's kind of weird. Yeah, I haven't
0: heard her name for quite a while, but the imagery I have of those mall bangs, the Aquanet mall bangs, <laughs> is just like it's, uh, it's such a turn on. Actually,
1: <laughs> yeah, I've got stories. We'll have to do another podcast about that yeah. someday. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, our next guest isn't Tanya. She wasn't available, but we have uh, a good runner up here. Sonia Zohar is our guest, you know, Sonia is featured in the documentary, uh, Creekside, and then we take her down to the Al Moon lab and she is an empath. She feels nature and all that's around it. And Sasquatch being the ultimate forest friend is obviously going to feel that. And so we, we get into it with her in this interview and talk all things empath and Sasquatch. And I think you'll be shocked at the direction this goes. Um, I don't know, what shocked you guys? I
2: don't know about shocking, but like, I just love the trajectory uh, that of where, when she, her introduction into the subject matter, just kind of what she thought she was looking for versus what she discovered along the way i know that sounds like i'm pitching like some terrible like family film <laughs> is um, this a
0: lifetime special you're pitching Joe? <laughs> go ahead
2: it could be give me a minute um <laughs> no but really like she she got into this you know after after watching a, a tv special about it and was she you know she thought she was looking for this forest monkey those are my words not hers she's much more better spoken very elegant in her presentation of the subject but she's looking for you know she thought she was out there looking for a you know undiscovered primate of some sort and her experiences that she had she's had on this journey have just been amazing and we only got the tip of the iceberg uh in the full interview uh, that we conducted when we started the documentary, she she is just uh, a, a valuable resource. Uh, her her knowledge and experiences are are really something that I believe uh, are moving the needle in research.
1: Yeah, and it, just to add to that, I think one of the special things about Sonia is how she got into the researching aspect of it. You know, so many um, folks that we've interviewed for our film, and folks that we haven't interviewed for our film, pe- people that we've met through our film, I have gotten into this because they, they've they had a sighting, they've had an experience. A very few people have gone out and done the research because they're interested in taking part in the Bigfoot world or the world of Bigfoot and the experience. And she saw you know, this show um, perked her interest. She'd always been interested in, you know, stuff like this history and, and anthropology. And that really motivated her to get out there and look for the answers herself, experience it herself. And I think that's important for people. I think that, you know, there's a lot of people out there that might be afraid to do that, or they might come up with excuses. And I would encourage everybody to get out there with an open mind. And, you know, look, Look for things. You don't have to have a sighting to indoctrinate yourself into this world. You know, Um, what you do have to have is an open mind. And you have to have the willingness to go out into the wilderness and, you know, be ready to experience something.
0: There might be something to women getting closer to evidence, especially Mm -hmm. this one, more so than men, just based upon the approach and the fact that there's, there's other things going on genetically and hormone wise that may attract said sasquatch jill you're rolling your eyes i can see it happen here, but it's true i can tell you stories right now about how guys approach this and the levels that they go to to have contact involve women coming with them one way or another let's leave it at that and uh sonia may be the person she may be the jane goodall of our time i've seen a lot of women through out this field, the last 15 years kind of come and go a lot of guys as well, you know, but, um, although Sonia is in the shadows researching, she, you don't find a YouTube video of her. This is the first big documentary. Um, there's a couple that she's in the shadows of, but she really is in the shadows on purpose. And we talk about maybe why she's in the shadows and the strange, well, I shouldn't say strange, but the interesting people she's met, particularly in Canada. Yes, Jill.
2: And, ju- and just to add on um, what you're saying, it, and I will say this based on, you know, the when we went to the Al Moon Wilderness um, with Sonia and that first night when when we were out there, um, I mean, she's pretty fearless about being in the woods. Uh, she wasn't phased at all. Um, and she actually she was under the impression that we were going to camp out there, um, which I i i need to i could take a lesson from her because i'm not very self-sufficient in the woods but no if if someone's gonna have an experience it will definitely be her because she she's not afraid to be out in the woods you know and putting herself out there
3: and she's not afraid to she's not afraid to interact i mean if she gets into sticky situations where you know she she tells some pretty harrowing stories in the interview and she you know she starts to ask questions and you know why are you doing this you know you're not gonna you're not gonna scare me that kind of thing she's she's totally fearless and you know and that's that's when you're gonna start getting contact when you kind of you know you just break down that fear level and you know that's a huge obstacle i think and it's just not something that's bothering her when she's out in the woods
0: And we didn't get into it, but she's also a bit of a biblical scholar, in fact, a a religion scholar, and has looked at, uh, we may get into it in part two, but she definitely has researched, you know, world religions as it approaches these ideas of the other and looking into what that other can be and how to approach it. And, um, you know, that's probably the best name we can give Sasquatch is the other, we really have no idea. Um, what's going on here. But um, we get into it. Any final thoughts here before we get into the the interview?
1: Other than just, you know, if you're out there, um, keep your eye on Sonia. Uh, if there's a such thing as a rising mm-hmm. star in the Bigfoot world or the world of paranormal, mm-hmm. Sonia's on the list for sure. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Reluctant, but try to pry her out of the woodwork here and, and get more uh, conferences and And Showtime with Sonia Zohar. Here we go. Here with us now is Sonia Zohar. Hello, Sonia.
4: Hello. Good evening.
0: It's great to have you on the line with us. Uh, On board here is the crew and brains behind the documentary and somehow I weaseled my way into the picture as well and we have some uh, some burning questions here for the understated but well-versed sonia zohar on all things sasquatch uh are you ready
4: i am thank you thank you so much for having me i uh, thank you yeah
0: absolutely well um throughout the documentary sonia um you know you paint a picture of sasquatch in a different way than a lot of researchers in fact you're kind of an as i say understated bigfoot researcher but in my opinion probably closer than anybody i know especially out in this area looking into the subject matter and you say some really interesting things so i'll start off with the first question here in particular as i reach over my desk here you talk about contact it's going to take contact for us to approach this issue uh, approach this issue of sasquatch and proof now of course everybody's going to think you're talking about Jody Foster and making contact that way but i don't really know what you mean by that so explain to the audience contact
4: i think when we look at the field of research what usually happens is a lot of people go out into the woods and they have a lot of equipment and they make a lot of noise and they, and even if they actually stay out there for the full time and people, um, the the approach is very interesting. It My experience of people who do the work, the approach is very interesting in that if you think about it in a scientific way, it takes eight years to habituate gorillas the silverback gorillas in the wild before humans can go out there and be around them. So we have the species that is, and and the silverbacks are not something you would typically call highly elusive. Sasquatch, whatever it is, is highly elusive. We don't have a body. We can't find a body that we know of. So it's going to take habituation and actually contact to prove scientifically the species. That's what I mean. We're going to have to have some sort of dialogue because as it stands right now, we can't film them. We cannot track them. We can't kill them and we can't find them and we don't have a body. And those are the things that science wants. That's what society wants we want these hard evidences and right now we can't supply them so my only suggestion is that we actually try contact which means habituation which means probably a lot longer than eight years of someone scientifically being in one spot researching them
0: okay great but do you think that proof Do you think that contact for the sake of proof is important? Do you think that the evidence for the scientific community needs to be established for them to thrive, for us to thrive? And I mean, we can go right to the question and ask you what you think they are, but, um, I think I might know, but why don't you answer both those questions?
4: Do you think, So uh, restate the question. Do you, are you asking me, do you think it's safe for our species to have contact with them or their species?
0: Well, my question is, do you think it's for the betterment of the discovery that they're found out that they are in a way studied? I mean, after all contact, you know, with humans doesn't always turn out well.
4: I know, and, and that's a great question, and I mean, it, that's a great question for all scientific discovery, and it's one that we never really answer. I mean, we do all kinds of things, unfortunately, That you know, that's a very good question, Tobe. That's how I'm going to answer that, is that's a very good question. I don't know that answer, if it would be better for us to know them or to not know them. and in the spirit of scientific research and discovery, at the same time, not being able to answer that question, I'm still compelled to seek them out.
2: Hi, Sonia. So hi. just to just to follow on that, um, you know, you, t- you just mentioned, like, still you you seek them out. Do you feel that as a whole, um, the way researchers are going about trying to make contact and trying to collect evidence and find like proof for themselves. Do you, do you think that that's hindering or like, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is there a right way and a wrong way that, that researchers should be interacting?
4: Well, I don't think it, it's all just based on results. Who's having results with what they're doing? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. What's based on results, who is actually getting evidences and who in the genre that's researching is having results. It's been my experience. Those that are having results are people who are actually taking the time to be in the forest and they're not usually taking uh, cameras. They're not trying to measure them or catch them or uh they're actually you know wanting to interact with them and they have um like I said those types of researchers have the best evidence
1: Sonia it's Brett um hi Brett hey so here's kind of a loaded question is why is it that we need to know is it out of selfishness that we just need to know and be king and queen of everything on on planet earth, or do we need to know more about us as humans? Um, What do you think?
4: Well, you know, it's, it's, it's also a really good question you know, cause it does imply that whole idea. Is it best for them to be known? Who's it? Who is it best for? And given the body of scientific work and knowing the answer to that in so many ways that humans really do build and do science and technology for its own sake, not ever thinking of the consequences. So part of your answer is definitely yes, I don't know the answer to that, but personally on a personal level, um, I think that Sasquatch adds to the story of human history. So how can you not want to know our history and all of it and all that it entails and all that it implies, and especially um, not only to the human story, if we are able to prove somehow that Sasquatch is as many um, theorize Sasquatch to be, and that is interdimensional, then there's there's actually a scientific level of physics I would think that would want to study maybe some being that is actually maybe traversing in parallel universes. And, and again, this is all based on the idea that if there are people who theorize that Sasquatch is an interdimensional being um, Even Native Americans say that Sasquatch, there are some Native Americans who say Sasquatch lives in two worlds. So what does that mean? So, you know, if we are able to, so I think there's interest on many layers um, of scientific research and adding to the human story. Um, So I think Sasquatch, and I think that personally as well, that's why I do it. And again, the consequence of it, is it, how is it going to turn out?
1: I don't know. <laughs> do you think one last question. Do you think that there's a possibility that they're monitoring the maturity of the human race? In other words, you know, when we were all children, our parents would go out to an adult party. And we had no concept of what that meant or what that entailed or had no no interest in what it was that they did at their adult evening night night out with friends and this is a horrible analogy but um my feeling is that they're the adults the party and we're the kids messing up the house lighting things on fire destroying things i mean we can't take care of ourselves let alone our planet do you think there's any possibility that that they're hiding and waiting until we grow up before they come out and say okay now that you've grown up i can teach you some adult things
4: uh, I think that question uh, is it. It's is it built on the idea that maybe they're the watchers. Is that what you're implying with that question?
1: Yeah, more or less. Like like yeah. they're actually in charge. You know what I mean? So yeah, and I've heard similar theories with with the aliens too, and turning off nukes and that kind of stuff.
4: I you know there's so many theories, Brett, and the, and they're all they're so and there's plausibility to a lot of them. Um, but the idea that they're the watchers is is my favorite, right? Like when you tie in the story of Rebecca and Esau of the Bible and the whole idea that there are two nations on the earth, and one is going to be weaker, the other will be stronger. One is there to help the other. And then you kind of tie that in with the whole Sasquatch idea and tie it in with Native American. There's a Native American uh, myth that says, uh, or story that says that Sasquatch appeared to us at the end of times. Um, Yeah, I, I think that That might, there might be some truth to that. That's my where I might find some truth to the story of Sasquatch is that they might be the watchers. I I do tend to believe that.
0: (laughs) I hope so. I really hope so. You know, part of the struggle here we're having, Sonia, is to keep it flesh and blood and uh, rushing down the rabbit hole. It just seems. To be the way this show goes and i try to steer it even with everything bonkers that's gone on in my life i still try to steer this conversation to the flesh and blood just because it is what we shot in the first documentary we don't tell the story kind of till the very end that maybe there's something else going on here did your journey start in the world of flesh and blood and end with you know out of the box thinking and crystals and you know, babbling brooks <laughs> tell me <laughs> tell me your story how did this start
4: well there's there's a huge bit of irony because so i'm an empath um and i have been since i was a child so i've always been aware that they they're that um reality isn't as hard set as as most experience reality to be um, and I was very open minded about everything. I mean, even aliens as a child, like I was never like, is that true? Is it not true? I just thought there's so many stars in the universe. How could it not be possible? I just, everything seemed so huge. Just seems like aliens, big deal. Is it or not? And then everything else I kind of had an open mind to, especially ghosts. Of course there were ghosts. I, I experienced that. So I knew that that was that So I had this tendency already to be very open-minded, but the irony was, is I was completely closed-minded to Bigfoot. (laughs) (laughs) And that's because we traveled a lot when I was a child and I had seen the jackalope in the Southwest and I was very certain that that was not real. And so then when we also would drive and travel in the Pacific Northwest and we'd see those carvings of Bigfoot, then I somehow just made this association with these carvings and stores where you stop that, that big fit thing had not could not be real either. Um, so I had just dismissed it completely. Um, although, um, yeah, the reason, and there's even more irony because you know, Jane Goodall and Diane Fossey were my heroes, right? I loved anthropology, I loved the study of non human primates. Um, I studied that in college, and I study. You know, anytime I click on to anything on the Internet, if there's a news article about archaeology or primatology, I click on to it. I'm fascinated with it. And uh, but I didn't believe in Bigfoot. I just thought it was a roadside thing. And then I saw a TV show when I was living in Los Angeles um, and. Jimmy Chilcutt was on that show and he got on there to say he would stake his 20 year career as a fingerprint expert that there was a non-disclosed non-human bipedal primate in North America and he would stake his career on that and it was based on a cast that had dermal ridges now now you're talking like that was really interesting to me that that caught my attention It not only caught my attention, something in me, like physically and emotionally, shifted. And I went downstairs. I had an office in the downstairs of the house. And I went downstairs and I turned on my computer and I researched the best Bigfoot evidence. Of course, uh, the, you know, Patty, the Gimlin film came up. And I watched that for a, a year. For a year, I watched that film to Prove to myself whether or not I thought that was real or a hoax, and then once I decided that that film was true enough for me to say that that's that was real, um, everything changed, and then I, yeah, and then I just became a researcher.
2: So, I, I want to jump ahead. Um, so we're starting, we've established that we're starting out in the flesh and blood, and I might be jumping the gun here a little bit, but. Some of the experiences that you shared with us uh during your initial interview, they did not have they had elements that were a little bit more than flesh and blood. And I'm thinking specifically about the story about the sound of the leaves. The do you know? Do you re- recall what I'm talking about? I think you were out on the east coast and It was the sound of something rushing up on you, but nothing was there.
4: Well, there was something there. Um, I I could go through and uh, share that with you, but let me go back to the really quick and let me see, make sure I finish the flesh and blood. So even when I saw Chimmy Chilcutt's, you know, thing, I immediately went to the whole idea that this was, had to be a, a relic hominid Neanderthal or gig- gigantopithecus. So yes, I started off completely flesh and blood. And then my very first encounter, my very first the essence of when I actually physically started to look for them, I knew right away that it was different. Um, however, let me go back to your question now, Jill. That situation was um an encounter I had in in Canada, yes, uh, uh, around the Algonquin National Park. And it it was just one of the scariest experiences I ever had. And it had to do with me being out at around 11 p.m. on a a snowmobile trail in October. And so the trash, trash, trash sound were these leaves And something came down this hillside towards my colleague and I, and it was the sound of the leaves of something coming towards us. And it really sounded like it could have been a deer. It was just a very little trash, 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 boom. It stopped, I think, when it saw us. And then it went trash, trash the other way. And my friend right away my colleague said oh that's sasquatch and um i i really was not i was not i did not believe that i it really could have been a deer and that's the sound that's kind of the sound and the size that i really felt it was but i just said okay maybe it was i don't know the next night we went out and we were about maybe half a mile away from that spot but the The land was flat here and we are still on a snowmobile road. And but we were sitting on this road and I was really watching the trees and really just kind of watching for anything that might move. And there was a slight moon and there was a slight mist and it was October, so it was pretty cool and You could kind of see through the trees, and then all of a sudden, from behind me, from my left, came this trash, 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 boom, trash, trash. But it came from a distance that was so far away, and whatever it was was so big, and it stopped behind me so hard, and then it veed off to the right, it came from the left, it veed to the right. And then what was actually scary about this in the moment, what was scary was that the last one went trash and then trash. And it was very apparent to me in the moment that that last trash was telling me how far it could go and how fast and how lightly it could touch. It was letting me know it could do that. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. Whatever ran up on me, ran up on me so fast, my body didn't move forward. I didn't move. I, 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 I didn't cogitate that something was coming towards me until, until the boom behind me. And it was as big as a bull. And I didn't even have the moment to think, am I going to die? I knew something was coming at me that could kill me. Obviously, it was huge. But my body physically, I wasn't stunned. I literally didn't have the, my body didn't move forward. It was over that quick. So whatever came up on me came up on me like on the speed of sound and it was huge. And then it wasn't until two days later that I had put the two evenings together back to back and realized that what happened the first night was replicated in this following evening. It was trash, 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 trash it was trash, trash, trash. Boom, trash, trash. And that's exactly what it did the second night. And then that's when I realized that whatever it was telling me it was definitely not a deer and what it was capable of. And that's when I realized very much alive in my being that you can't track it. You can't catch it. You can't kill it. Like you have no idea what it can do and how fast it can move.
3: I, hi, Sonia. It's Mike. Um, hi. Just a quick question. I, you know, that's a fascinating story but it's also you know it it's you bring up habituation and contact and it's frustrating because it's like you get these experiences you get glimpses of contact but nothing really happens and it's and it's you know sometimes it's more scary than anything and it's it's intimidating um you know are we gonna have to like completely reset our thinking to be able to get contact like are, are we ever going to do you think it's ever going to get to a Jane Goodall's type of situation where we're actually watching them out in you know in their own environment when they're here I mean what is I mean it's just it's like who makes the first move right and I, I it's it's um it's, it's hard to know if it's the balls in their court or if the ball's in our court.
4: I think it's the, it's in their court always. And I think that's why, that's why, um, the research really doesn't really get done on a scientific level. Um, and those who do it, you know, I think there's some truth to even what you, in the question that you just asked, would it ever get to a, a level of Jane Goodall style where you could actually watch them? <laughs> and, you know, an honest answer is I don't know that. I don't know that. I don't think anybody could know that. Um,
3: well, you know, and, you know, and with Native Americans, it was, you know, it's, it's, you know, verbally, you know, historically documented with them that they had a relationship. So, you know, what, what are we doing wrong? I guess, and why? Are, what are we missing out on? If they, if there was a relationship in the past, and you know, what did that relationship look like?
4: Well, I mean, that I, I think that's, I mean, that would be really obvious. I, humans are modern humans, and I'm not saying that Native Americans are not modern humans, but I'm, you know, Western civilized humans. We are. Uh, we think differently. We act differently. We smell different. We're so removed from nature. I, me- I remember reading one story where a chief had had met with, uh, you know, a group of uh, Europeans and said that they constantly were looking around like they were looking for something because we couldn't figure out what they were looking for, and you know when you think about that, the energy that one brings to the forest, civilized humans don't I I don't know how I don't know how to explain it. And I and I, and I'm trying to not trying to walk very lightly here and not make any sort of slurs about anybody or insinuate that anybody's lesser or greater. It's just that those people that were having relationships with those Sasquatch we're living in peace with the earth. They may not have lived with peace with each other, but that's natural. Every species on the planet wars for territory. But what you, when the Europeans came, their energy was very, very different and always has been. And so... I think any gentle species but smart, but quirky, but way masterful would back away. I mean it just makes it makes sense that they would just back away.
0: Brett.
1: Yeah, so can you hear me okay?
0: You're coming in loud and clear. Okay.
1: Um it seems to me like maybe what how am i trying to phrase this it seems to me like technology might be the way that we end up meeting and i guess what i mean by that is you know they obviously have have abilities um that are that are beyond even our science you know we can't observe it we can't measure it but at some point or another we're going to catch up humans are going to catch up you know and just like the story that you told us about um that that occurred to you in, uh, in canada you know at what point i guess is what i'm trying to say is what at what point do, do humans have those same abilities because when we do you know you look at the rapid move of technology right now with even flare cameras i mean the things that have that have happened in the last Five to ten years, technology-wise, is—I mean—a phone. I'm sorry, a camera in everybody's pocket. You know, we're starting to see Bigfoot photos and videos, and, and who knows how many of those are real. Um, but I have—I—I I have a feeling that that a good portion of them are real. So the question is, is that when will we have these abilities to disappear uh, or to sense objects that are invisible? to the naked eye or to the invisible to the to cameras. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, Sonia?
4: You know, I really I really hadn't thought about, you know, the advancement of technology especially in capturing things that are not available to the naked eye. Um, I I d- hadn't thought about that actually.
1: Have you seen
0: Barb Shoop's video of the cloaker? No. Okay um you should probably go download that tonight sonia because that's a prominent piece of uh of uh what i would call cryptid uh evidence right brett yeah
1: so okay also i'll tell you a little bit about it um i saw this video a couple of years ago maybe even three or four years ago and i i was like yeah there's something there there's something weird going on but I saw it on YouTube and and YouTube compresses videos and the object is or the the individual is so small in the frame that I thought, yeah, it could be compression artifacts or tricks of light or whatever. And so I got a hold of Barb Shoop and I asked her if I could get a copy of the video. Um, She was like, yeah, no problem. You know, she has nothing to hide. And um, I took the video and I spent three hours um uploading i'm sorry um uprising it to 4k and and analyzing it and i've been a video professional my entire life practically since the age of 13. so we're talking 34 years of experience with video and and i was looking for something anything um either in the technology itself you know whether it was compression or in tricks of light and what the video shows is, is it shows a figure that is cloaked looks like the predator just like everybody says and it drops and turns and runs away and i watched it over and over and over again each time looking for something new to give it away and i finally reached a point where the hair stood on the back of my neck because i realized i had run out of any and every explanation that didn't involve it being real. Um and so I've come to the conclusion that it is a hundred percent authentic. And I and and I came to this conclusion with my knowledge of visual effects and how things are done. I'm not an expert in visual effects, but I know what it would take to do something like this. And it would be A, expensive, and B, um extremely difficult. And and if Hollywood were to do it, just similar to the Patterson Gimlin costume quote unquote costume if hollywood were to do it it would cost tens of thousands of dollars and she shot this in 2014 so it would have been even harder um so you see this transparent cloaked figure um and it runs off into the woods and what was really interesting what i didn't know is i we we went up and we interviewed barb about the video that she took and stuff and she says she says oh yeah well i saw it out of the corner of my eye in real life and it was black actually what i saw was black but what the camera recorded was transparent it was cloaked so i guess the point of me saying all this is that there there is technology even available today that is seeing these things that is picking up these things that is enabling us to you know um Study, I guess, because this is a clip, I think when, you know, when we pointed out in the sequel, when we when I show a little bit more of the analysis, I think people are going to go back and really watch this thing and they're going to be blown away by it. Um, And I just so happen to show it. This is a tease for the 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 film. Spoiler alert. We just so happened to show it to Eric Bard from Skinwalker Ranch and he about fell out of his seat. He had no explanation for it. So I feel like we're on the precipice of of really being able to capture some undebunkable stuff, I guess, even with
0: AI and everything else out, out there. I
1: think we're getting really close.
0: Well, you're probably right And having met Barb and hung out with her. So there's no way in hell that she hoaxed that footage. That's just out of line. It's either camera artifact or something else. And it gets into interesting territory because, Sonia, you're not a techno nerd. You're not out um, with flare cameras. I don't know you to be that kind of person. Um, what do you think the consequences are of bringing tech out into the natural world since it seems so counter natural, even though it is basically the dirt from the ground that has made these objects in every sense of the word and way of describing that. But tech seems to piss them off or push them back. What do you think that's about?
4: Well, I I, I think that's true. And so um, I mean, that's one of the challenges. Also, um, they don't like it. And, and it's not unusual for uh beings in nature to not like cameras um most animals don't i mean if you think about um i know some animals are kind of getting used to trail cams and we get great photos on them but usually you'll get one photo of the animal in there and then the next photo it's gone it's like oh you took a picture i'm gone out of here now like animals have a tendency to not like them i watched a documentary uh of uh these people tracking Siberian tigers and watching their territories. And they caught one, they got one image of a Siberian tiger, one image of the female, they knew that was her territory. And the only image of her, she, her face is turned from a great distance and she's hissing at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> and they never caught an image of her again. So that's, that's just kind of natural actually. And uh, so, yeah. Um, but you know, it is fascinating. Our technology is better, and it, there's there's two things to be said about that too. Like people seeing these things more and more, um, and it has to do with uh, something I learned from. I think it was the missing four one one they were talking about the electromagnetic energy on Mount Shasta, where people had disappeared. And they were talking about how in in places of high paranormal activities, the electromagnetic energy changes. Well, what's really interesting about that is when electromagnetic energy changes, so do the laws of physics. So as we're so things might be able to be more available to us when there's maybe let's call, let's call i i'd say that that could be what we could call a glitch in the matrix right a spot where the laws of electro or the laws of physics are different from where i'm standing in this moment i don't know how that could look like or what that could feel like but obviously there's a difference because those are the places where we have higher levels of paranormal activity. And so with all of these new technical devices and all of these new electromagnetic waves we have around us at all times now, all types of currents, and um, I'm sure we are going to get more things on camera. We are going to see more things. I think that just our kind of... A you know, heightened electrical world might make that more plausible, more plausible.
1: One, one real quick point before Jill asks a question. Um, We've had this discussion before um, about electromagnetic energy and how animals can pick up on it. I mean, obviously, you know, birds have extremely advanced magnets that allow them to, you know, migrate from Alaska to South America. And get to the exact same spot every single time which to me is extraordinary um but you know you go back to the patterson gimlin film and that was a that camera was a film camera that was an analog camera that was not um sending out electromagnetic vibes if you will so so there's no you know nothing is picking up on any sort of uh, frequencies in the air it's analog Whereas these these wildlife cameras that are everywhere, um, you know, iPhones I don't think or cell phones I don't think do it as much, but um, but wildlife cameras are stacked with batteries. They've got infrared. They've got all kinds of stuff that you know, Sasquatches or any animal, you know, from a possum to an elk to a raccoon is going to sense. And, and pick up on. It's going kind to of sense a uh, vibe out there. So anyways, that's just something that we've talked about throughout the course of the production of the documentary.
2: So hi, it's me again. Hi. Uh, Sonia, I was hoping, can you share with us just some of the incredible experiences you have had out in the field? Um, I know you've talked about, you shared with us uh, about having rocks throw like rocks being hurled at you that like came within inches of hitting but and like almost having like a dialogue like letting them know you were aware of their presence and just some of the things you've encountered while actually being like boots on the ground
4: uh yeah well i have had uh the rock throw the the famous rock throw i was in uh uh in canada And coming down a trail, we—I was with two colleagues. We had to be out of uh, the national park by 11 p.m. Uh, So we were heading down this trail, and we were getting close um, to—we're getting pretty close to where the vehicles were. And I had been walking ahead of uh, my colleagues. I was probably about 15 feet ahead of them when a rock hit the tree right next to them and when i turned around like i swung around i could still i could see them both of them reacting like jumping in the air i could see like debris coming off of the tree and i realized right away that whatever that was, or what if that had hit one of us, it could have killed us. And so my reaction to it right away was to like, talk to it, like, Oh, my God, I don't know. You know, we had had we had, we had been hearing some things while we had been out there that night. Um, but nothing again substantial that to me would say this was a Sasquatch things move in the forest at night. So Um, when we were coming down the trail, this, that rock hit, I, so I kind of had Sasquatch on the mind, but the, when the rock hit, I mean, I didn't know what, what could possibly have done that. And I said right away, I felt, I felt for my safety. I just said right away, like, uh, you know, we mean, you no harm, but I also was sending out the body, you know, energy of don't you hurt me? Like, don't you dare hurt me? And then we continued down the trail. And I don't know, maybe it wasn't even a minute later, like this big, huge rock got lobbed down the hill. And you could just tell it just was, it lobbed like a softball. Boom, 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 boom. And then I realized that it was just playing. I just had this realization. It was just playing with us. And so I said to it, I'd be back out the next week. And that's, that's what the plan was. And so I went back, we got back to the vehicle. And we did we heard these very strange sounds. These very strange vocalizations when we got back to the car. Um, I'm still not convinced they weren't some kind of bird, but we were surrounded by them. And I don't know what kind of bird makes that kind of sound. And I did look and listen to a lot of vocalizations, I could not found one yet. So um, that was very interesting, but so that what that was definitely the time we got the rocks thrown. And then there's been some other times out with colleagues. Um, one time, they were so sure we were being followed by something in the daytime, and I wasn't. Again, I'm always a little skeptic. I'm like, oh, my God, it could be a deer. It could be a bear. It could be another hiker up there, whatever. Anyway, but then something started making Just this really loud noise, and then it threw a rock. And I remember turning towards the hillside and like running through this creek on the other side, but also turning around and facing the hillside, like preparing myself, thinking that a boulder was coming at me, completely believing that this rock was so huge that I better turn around and know where it was so I could get out of its path. Now, It wasn't that big i definitely was exaggerating what the size of this thing was but it was huge that's the way it made me feel so those are the those were some of the rock throws
0: have you had a visual encounter of any kind eye shine you know silhouette of shadows
4: i i've i've seen uh, the red reflected lights, and was you know was told was it was said that that would be a sasquatch, but I also know that owls have reflective red reflective light, so um, you know no, I really haven't seen them. I've heard them, I've felt them, I've exchanged vocalizations with them. Uh, I've had gift exchanges, but I have not had the visual.
0: Have you been? Oh, go ahead there. Sorry.
1: Quick, quick, quick question: Have you been zapped by them
0: before?
2: You Uh, mean hold on,
0: hold on a second here. I'm going to edit this together. Ask the question here in three, two, one. Brett, you had a question.
1: Yeah, have you been zapped as in infrasound?
4: Yes, I have.
1: And 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 what was that like? What was that experience like?
4: Well, I was out with It was when I was out with uh Jeff Meldrum and Dr. Pendernegall and Todd Standing and it's the evening that we had something come into camp. And I went out into the tree line and I confronted. And when I got out there, I, I really wasn't afraid because you know, my coll- I had five colleagues standing behind me and two of them had guns. And it was frightening, but I wasn't terrified. I mean, there was a fire behind there were humans in the campground. And I don't know, it was just like, can you confront because they believed there was something there. And so I walked into the, to the tree line, and I started to make some vocalizations and talk to it. And then I noticed that my knees were shaking. And it was odd, because I didn't feel the the same amount of fear in my chest and in my heart. And I remember I had to like kind of even coach myself like, whoa, Sonia, you're okay. Like you're fine. You don't have to be that afraid. But I sat there and I tried to do some vocalizations, initiated some sort of contact and nothing happened. So I came back and I sat down and I remember when I sat down, um, I think it was Dr. Meldrum said, you know, weren't you afraid and aren't you afraid? And i was like no but i'm really tired and that was what was really weird i was like i was really tired and i can still feel it in my body like it's it's like you know trauma trauma you can still feel the experience when you have a sasquatch experience it never leaves you you can still feel exactly what it felt like that's why i maybe i I might sound a bit dramatic when i'm telling these stories but I still feel them when I'm telling them to you. Like when I was talking about being in Canada and that thing coming up behind me, like I still felt it. And right now, and I'm telling you about this when I walked into that tree line and my knees were shaking my knees, I can feel all of it. And then when I sat down, I was exhausted. And then I went to bed that night and I was so tired. I, I crawled up in a fetal ball in my sleeping bag and I went all the way down to the bottom of my bag, which was really unusual because I like to have fresh air when I sleep. And And then all of a sudden, I don't know, it was like about two in the morning, then the fear hit and I was so afraid. Like I woke up and I was just terrified until sunrise. I couldn't move. I was like shaking, afraid, and I had to go to the bathroom and I wouldn't get up. I I wouldn't even look out of my sleeping bag. And then finally, when it got light and I felt more comfortable that people were going to wake up and I got up out of my sleeping bag and then the tops of my thighs, they were like on fire, like um, lactic acid, like I had done 25,000 squats the day before. Now, I didn't know I'd been hit for infrasound. I didn't know what was happening. Um, I just knew I was tired. I was weak. My legs hurt. and um, I was just this unbelievably exhausted, and then what happened was, is this lasted for almost two weeks. Like I, even when I got home, I felt like I'd had like maybe I thought I had a mild heart attack. So I actually did see a doctor. I went in, and she's like, "No, you, you're, you haven't had a heart attack." But I was honest with her. I told her what happened. Like I really believe I may have confronted a sasquatch. I know it would be the craziest thing telling your doctor, but it was really the truth. What happened? And, uh, and I go, and I've been weak ever since. And she goes, well, you know, Sonia, it does sound to me like you were scared to your core. She goes, you can get scared to your core. She goes, you're going to be fine, but you're weak. Just rest. And I really was for like two weeks. I would lose breath walking from my couch to my front door of my house. It was crazy. So the way I found out that was infrasound though, is I would be out in that same location, maybe two years later with dr susan mcdonald and um, she is a wildlife ecologist uh, at the university of toronto and she works with elephants and gorillas and uh, elephants have infrasound and she got hit with infrasound and when i was telling her my experience of what happened the last time i was at that location she said oh she goes, oh, and the burning in your thigh, she goes, oh, that's infrasound. You got hit with infrasound. And so I researched it, and there's, there is some uh, possibility that gorillas use infrasound. So if gorillas use infrasound, it's not a leap that uh, Sasquatch would use infrasound. So, yeah, I believe I got hit with infrasound, and um, all of my symptoms were exactly that. So, yeah.
0: Fascinating sonia my last question to you here is um your connections to canada in particular canadian intelligence and what you've been involved with off the record um do you feel comfortable talking about that is that an area we can go
4: well i i don't know how I'm, i'm going to say about it but i'm i'm open to you know i think what i would share about that with well I'm curious to know, I'm curious to want to know what it is that you want to know. And I'll be as open as I can be.
0: Said like a true spy. (laughs) 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 Oh, Let's see here, should I ask it in Russian? Should I go to Chinese, (laughs) Mandarin? Um, As far as your involvement with working with these colleagues of yours here that have vested interest and funding coming their way. um, My question to you is, have people? I think that there's some counterintelligence stuff that may have been happen, happening to you in private. We're not quite sure. I don't know if you want to talk about that. Um, were, were you studying Sasquatch for the Canadian government? If so, what department? And um, how close am I to the truth? My way oh.
4: off. <laughs> no, no. I think I've made some comments that I think it's very interesting. Since I've been doing Sasquatch work, that I have met people at certain levels of life that I don't think I that it, well. I haven't met in other walks of life. Meaning, I have met people that work at high at high levels of government. Um, I, I just think I don't. I think it's odd. That's all I would say about that. I have befriended um uh people that work you know someone in particular that works for the canadian government you know but that that contact came through the bigfoot research which i just think is it's unusual not like you know and i could it could be a complete coincidence but like i said i've met several people that Um, have different governmental clearances in the U.S. and Canada um, since I've been doing Bigfoot and supposedly that's random. (laughs) um, So right so they're all my friends and they're colleagues I don't work for anybody or I don't work with them I I include them in the pool of colleagues that I have because they are colleagues that I have and I try not to make up anything about it more than just stating the fact that I do, I personally do think it's kind of unusual. And that's what I would want to say about that.
0: So the people that claim that they have, um, discreet individuals show up at the doorstep after collecting evidence or after an incredible sighting that may be documented too well, that say that these two men generally, one more demure and businesslike, the other one looks like an MMA guy, obviously, an intimidating duo of sorts. Um, I think that usually they say they're from the Department of uh, uh, Interior. Uh, I may have that wrong. I, I don't know if that's what the badge that they flash. Have you? Can you confirm or deny that um, they're government bodies that intimidate Bigfoot witnesses? Have you? Have you yourself been intimidated? You know, I don't.
4: Um, yes, I, you know, I do think I do believe so. But then at at the same time, I do want to be fair about that. I mean, is it just something in general when people are in the, any sort of genre that people attack them? I, I felt, like I said, I think some of the whole, the whole genre of Bigfoot for me has been very fascinating because sometimes I feel attacked and I, I feel it's so unusual that why would you be so, why would anybody care about what I'm interested in? I mean, Bigfoot is just something that I am interested in and something that I like to talk about and I like to research. And so I've always been fascinated when people are very strongly opposed to that or um, make up stories about me and publish them or you know try to cast people in a negative light. But at the same time, when I say that, it seems that anytime you're in a fringe genre, which Bigfoot is a fringe genre, you do attract that type of attention. So uh, I, I wouldn't think that I, I don't. I wouldn't want to say maybe that it's so personal that I've been attacked specifically more than maybe that people in that are trying to talk about truthful topics um, are attacked, and that is something I think we should all be concerned about. It doesn't matter what I want to talk about, but why would I be attacked for that?
0: Well, you must be over the target. And if you want to see Sonia over more targets, what better place than Forks, Washington? You have a possibility of seeing her, several Mm -hmm. other guests from the documentary coming up this Memorial Day weekend. I believe that's the weekend of the 26th through the 28th forks washington the second annual sasquatch festival sonia you don't live that far from there can we convince you to come on one of those days and uh, wax poetic in front of my bigfoot statue
4: (laughs) yes absolutely
0: (laughs) okay sonia zohar she's uh she's promised here she's made a pinky swear she's gonna be there you know, there's gonna be two venues here, at folks, and we haven't talked a lot about that. But if you go on the website at sasquatchthelegend.com, yes, you can get a ticket. We'd love to see you see all the powerpoints and and see all the surprises, including a debate between Aper versus Wu with Thomas Seawood and Rich Germot. Talk about fireworks, but across the street, over at Sasquatch the Legend gift store, museum, and now Barista Oh my espresso, you can check out this impromptu day that we're going to have on saturday the 27th where we're going to have witness testimony uh thomas seawood's uh gal peggy seawood is going to be there across the street doing um, live streams and that's going to be available at the sasquatch Legend youtube channel and it's your chance to hang out do all things bigfoot and usually the home of vampires and werewolves but um you know forks is becoming this mecca for all things sasquatch so to not have Sonia there would be a crime we don't want to commit any more crimes than uh, perhaps going along with this this podcast here but we're happy to do it Sonia, thanks for providing us uh with an hour of your time here and we look forward to seeing you in, in about 30 days
4: Uh, Thank you so very much for having me. Thank you
0: so much. This has been a Resonance Productions podcast. If you have questions, comments, or your own encounter story you would like to relay to the show, email us at bigfootrevealedpod at gmail.com. Also, if you're just discovering us, you can watch our documentary, A Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Revealed, on most major video streaming platforms.